From the world-famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Daniel Sellerson. D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra. Yeah. And the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Daniel Salerson. Hello and welcome into the Hump Day edition of the Black and Blue Report. As the deep-voiced man in the intro said, I'm Daniel Salerson filling in for Sean Kelly until our little summer hiatus as Sean takes some much-deserved time off. Man, what a tough day for the city of New Orleans yesterday. First, the Big Easy fell short of securing a bid to host Super Bowl 52 in 2018, which would be the city's tricentennial after Minneapolis edged out the Crescent City and Indianapolis. Minnesota is building a new stadium set to open in 2016, and that plus half of the cost being funded by the public gave Minneapolis the edge over the other two cities. Later on that night, the NBA draft lottery took place in the Big Apple, and all I can say is Cleveland again? The Cavaliers win the number one pick for the third time in the last four seasons. The only other team to win the lottery in that span was the New Orleans Pelicans. Speaking of the Pelicans, their lottery luck ran out last night as they did not win a top five pick in the draft. By the rules, they could only get one, two, or three, and they ended up at the number 10 pick, which will go to the 76ers via the Drew Holiday trade. Was anyone as confused as I was when the deputy commissioner pulled out a 76ers card in number 10 instead of a Pelicans card? For a second, I thought we were in the top three, but the league tricked us this year and ended up just making cards for the teams that were getting picks that were owed to them through past trades. I know it's confusing, but uh, if you notice, the Charlotte Hornets, yes, I said Charlotte Hornets, who are not in this year's lottery, ended up with a pick thanks to the Detroit Pistons, and their card was pulled out. You can tell Dr. J was a little confused when the 76ers card was picked at number 10 because I think he thought they lost their top three pick, which was not the case. They earned a number three pick and the number 10. So the Pelicans will be without a first and second round pick as of now heading into this year's draft. But we do have some good news to report out of Saints camp. The team announced yesterday this year's inductions into the Saints Hall of Fame. Quarterback Aaron Brooks and kicker John Carney will be this year's inductees. And congratulations to the two of them. Later on this week, we'll share with you some interviews that Sean Kelly did with both of those guys on the Black and Blue Report. Coming up on today's show, John DeShazer will check in from Atlanta as he is about to head back to the Big Easy following the NFL owners' meetings. So we'll talk to him about the Super Bowl bid and much more. We'll also recap the draft lottery with Pelicans.com writer Jim Eichenhofer. But coming up next, more reaction from Atlanta as we'll hear from some of the New Orleans presenters from yesterday's Super Bowl presentation. All of this is yours on today's show, and I'll be back in one minute. As one Entergy customer to another, I have a tip for you. Download the free Entergy app. If my power goes out, I check the app. The outage maps let me know what's happening and when to expect my lights back on. It also makes it easy to pay my bill and manage my account, all right from my smartphone. Download the app today or visit EntergyApp.com for more information. Giving me control in the palm of my hand? That's the power of people. Entergy. is all across Louisiana with cash jackpots starting at $250,000. That's a whole lot of cash. 
Right now, it's a lot more fun. Lotto Lanyard. Buy a $5 single draw lotto ticket. Get a raffle entry to win up to $50,000. Lotto Lanyard. A lot more cash and a lot more fun. Must be at least 21 to purchase. Hardwood, hardball, and hard knocks. <gasps> this is the Black and Blue Report. As mentioned in our last segment, the city of New Orleans did not win its bid for Super Bowl 52 in 2018. Minneapolis will be the host that year. We were able to get some reaction from some of the presenters representing New Orleans after their hard-fought attempt fell short. The theme you'll hear from all of these interviews is that the new stadium and public funding in Minnesota gave Minneapolis the edge over Indy and New Orleans. Greater New Orleans Sports Foundation President and CEO Jay Cicero reiterated that and much more as he met up with John DeShazer and the assembled media following the news. Absolutely, uh, that was a deciding factor. Uh, uh, anytime that the, uh, uh, there's a half billion dollars put in from a, a public fund support for a billion dollar stadium, it means a lot to uh, the NFL and the other owners. So that is, uh, uh, you know, that, that's basically the reason why they got it, and they're going to do a great job in it. So we congratulate them and, and, and wish them the best. How, how, how did you feel the presentation went? Well, we nailed it. Uh, we did everything that we were supposed to do on time. Uh, the videos were fantastic. Uh, the speaking was fantastic. The, the, uh, the financial presentation, financial offer that we put together was very competitive, uh, and we were right there. Uh, in the end, uh, we feel it was a new stadium that, that, that did it for Minnesota, and uh, we congratulate Do you have any idea when you'll be able to bid again? We don't, uh, um, but uh, the NFL does uh, invite cities every October, so hopefully we'll be in that number soon. New Orleans Visitors Bureau President and CEO Stephen Perry piggybacks what Jay said about how tough it is to lose the bid, but Stephen and the rest of the city will help Minneapolis in any way that they can. And it is hard, you know, it's hard on every one of us because there's a lot of work that goes into this. Such an incredible fit for our city, but at the same time, you know, um, the league has got to reward great levels of taxpayer investment. Half a billion dollars taxpayers put in in Minnesota. The stadium is beautiful, um, and I think that was a deciding factor. So you respect the decision based on that criteria, even Absolute, though you're absolutely. I mean, this is about a this business is a public-private partnership business. And the investment of the public sector in making these franchises successful, just like we did, you know, look at the money we put in the Superdome, uh, the incentives were the same, so these things matter. Um, this was a tough decision for the owners. You can tell, you can sense it in the room. So we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll be back and we'll be back strong because we know that we still have the single greatest place to do a special event in the world. So, describe the moment when you got the decision. What was it like in that room? Well, everyone obviously has a pit in their stomach. You know, you you work hard on something for so many months, and then it's actually out of your control. Um, we know that the league has a policy, which they exercised in Indianapolis a couple of years ago, which they did in New York last year, that when you make major investments to build new stadium, you have an opportunity to win a game. That is a sound policy because it allows uh, for that to be an incentive for public sector investment. We've certainly done it and we've benefited from it before. 
So, you know, it was a tough fight. It was a good one. We wish them the best of luck. In fact, we're going to offer to help them a lot. They haven't done this in a long time. So we're going to do everything in our power to help them be successful. And I can assure you that Mr. Benson and all of the hospitality community in New Orleans, we're going to, we're going to rally back, get with the league, and we're going to hopefully get another shot at this really soon. Entergy Executive Vice President and CAO Rod West was the last one to speak to the media following the loss. We were excited about what New Orleans was putting forward. At the end of the day, Minnesota, uh, particularly with the public money, we think on balance, uh, really swayed, uh, in our minds, the owners uh, with the decision. It was close. Uh, it went down to the wire. They went through uh, the different voting um, sessions uh, because they couldn't get a supermajority. We suspected that it, would, it might come down to us in Minnesota, uh, and they, they ultimately won it. We're, we're happy for them. We're sad that New Orleans didn't get it, uh, and I hope they're going to put on a great show. I know you got the, the issue. Uh, I know, uh, I think it was Sam, who talked a little bit about the, the money that you had to really raise some private money, but you had commitments from everyone who supported sure. you in 2013. Thinking back on it, do you think at all not having that? Um, not no, listen, that but the, the whole issue about money had to do with public money that went into building the stadium, and I think one of the major advantages that, uh, that Minnesota had, and we knew that coming in, uh, was that they were building a 1.2, I believe, billion dollar stadium where the public put up nearly half of that money. And let's be clear, the, the, the NFL has a history of rewarding those cities uh, that have put that good faith forward to build stadiums. They rewarded New Orleans when we did it uh, after Katrina. And, uh, and so it's not a shock. Uh, of course we're disappointed. We came here to win it. But uh, we, wish, we wish Minnesota well. And uh, we're going to do everything we can to put New Orleans in the position, uh, the next chance we have to, uh, to get a Super Bowl. Emotionally. I, I know you can intellectually it makes sense. Yeah. Emotionally. How tough is this one to take? Right? You know what? It's, it's a loss. At the end of the day, we came here to win it, guys. Let's be, let's be clear. We did not come here to show. We didn't come here just to put on a good show. We came uh, to Atlanta to bring the Super Bowl back to New Orleans. We didn't, uh, we didn't get that, and, and so we're a little down about it. But uh, one thing uh, New Orleanians should be proud of, we put our best foot forward. Um, we left it uh, in the uh, in the meeting room, and uh, we didn't leave anything to chance. And, sure. I'm sorry. Do you hope to get right back in it in 2019? Well, as soon as uh, the NFL invites us to do so, um, this is this is an ongoing uh, opportunity for the city of New Orleans. And so we won't have the Super Bowl for our tricentennial. Uh, we may have it soon after because the first chance the NFL gives us to come back, um, we'll be back. Well, it's football related. It's a it's a tough loss because we came to win. This was competition. This was New Orleans against other cities, and we prepared to win this. We knew what we were up against. We knew the presumptions regarding public money and the weight that that holds. And so, uh, yeah, this is a shot in the gun. Um, we don't have a next weekend to come back. That's a tough part. You have to wait a number of years before you have a chance to bid again. And so that part of it's a little tough. And, and certainly for the people who spend a lot of time uh, putting the bids together, um, you know, that's uh, that's even more personal for them. We get to come and, and present at the end of the day. But the, the, but Jay Cicero, Sam Joffrey, the folks in the Great New Orleans Sports Foundation, they put the work in to put this bid together. And, and so I'm disappointed that uh, their work wasn't immediately rewarded. But New Orleans will be back in play. So there you have it. We will wait to see in October whether the city of New Orleans will bid for Super Bowl 53 in 2019. Keep in mind, if they were to bid on that one, they might be up against Atlanta, who will have a new stadium in 2017. 
When we come back, we'll check in with NewOrleansSaints.com senior writer John DeShazer, who will put a bow on the NFL owners' meetings. Okay, you've just been told you have a serious heart issue. Congestive heart failure, a valve problem, a complex rhythm disorder. Now what? At Auctioner, we suggest you take a moment and do some research. When you do, you'll find Auctioner Medical Center has the only heart program in the region ranked among the nation's best by U.S. News & World Report. We routinely treat the most complex cases with revolutionary procedures such as surgical and non-surgical valve replacements and the total artificial heart. And we have the largest, most comprehensive program for treating arrhythmias in the Gulf South, offering options not available elsewhere in the region. At the end of the day, the most important thing to hear is... I just saw your test results, and they look great. No problems. Leading Edge Care. Just one more reason to choose an auctioner-affiliated physician. For an appointment, visit auctioner.org or call 1-866-AUCTIONER. That's O-C-H-S-N-E-R. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. Pelicans.com and NewOrleansSaints.com. Your first stop when following your teams. All right, as promised, joining us now from Atlanta is senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com, John DeShazer, who is en route back to the Big Easy after spending the last few days there for the NFL owners' meetings. JD, before I ask you about the Super Bowl bid, your thoughts on the NFL meetings overall? Well, um, pretty smooth meetings. Um, they took care of some peripheral business, obviously. Uh, decided to wait on uh, playoff expansion until 2015. So next year they think they'll be able to get it in. And also uh, decided to do the experimental uh, PAT, moving the PAT back to the 15-yard line for the first uh, for a couple of preseason weekends. I think originally in Orlando they had to the 20-yard line, but they're going to try it from the 15. So they'll see how that works. And But uh, other, otherwise, you know, you know, pretty uneventful except for the uh, Super Bowl announcement. You mentioned the Super Bowl announcement. The league announced yesterday that the Minneapolis-Minnesota was awarded Super Bowl 52 in 2018, beating out Indy and New Orleans. We already heard from New Orleans presenters, but what was there? Was there an overall shock when the league announced that New Orleans did not get it? Oh, I think absolutely. I think uh, there was shock, you know, throughout the the Ritz Carlton Hotel, which is where they held the the meetings. Uh, New Orleans went in. In just about everyone's opinion, as as a as not as not a overwhelming favorite, but certainly a pretty solid leader in the clubhouse. I mean, you know, it's New Orleans. It's you know, it's the tricentennial celebration in 2018, and it's the, it's the city that does big events better than anywhere else. But you know, Minnesota, Minneapolis comes up, you know, came in with a with a huge trump card, and that was a billion dollar football stadium. That is, you know, publicly funded, you know, halfway, you know, 500 million through public funds, and you know, we've seen it. If we've if we've seen nothing with the NFL lately, we know that, you know, publicly funded stadiums or partially public fu- publicly funded stadiums carry a great amount of weight with NFL owners. So when Minneapolis was able to pull that out, it didn't matter that you know this just this winter they had 50 days of you know below zero temperatures. You know, they, they, you know, presented, you know, how people would be able to get around with the skywalks and this, that, and the other. But the main thing is they had that football stadium, the brand new shiny football stadium that's supposed to open in 2016 to present to the NFL owners. And that impressed them as much as anything. Piggybacking off that, does that mean that if Minnesota did not have this stadium, you think New Orleans wins hands down? Is that the new thing now? If you have a new stadium, 
is that going to be the new uh, way of getting a Super Bowl? Well, it seems to be. I mean, it seems to be an arms race. And, you know, first guy to the table with a new stadium will be seeing if they can get a, a Super Bowl. We saw it in New York. We saw it happen in Indianapolis. Atlanta here is, you know, just programming their new stadium. They're looking for the game in 2019. And you figure San Francisco, you know, with, the, with their new football stadium in Santa Clara, they're going to want a Super Bowl. So it seems to be an arms race. And from that standpoint, you get a little bit concerned because, you know, even though the Superdome remains a first-rate facility, first-class facility, and New Orleans remains the best place to have a Super Bowl in terms of hotel accommodations and in terms of accessibility to the, to the venue, you know, still, what we're seeing now is if you build a new stadium and you get that public funding, you get that public-private uh, relationship between fans and and, uh, and, the, and the franchise, you know, it seems to work in your favor in terms of getting a Super Bowl. And, and Stephen Perry, one of the speakers for New Orleans, mentioned, you know, hey, when the Superdome was upgraded, you know, when it got renovations, you know, the, the NFL owners were, looked favorably upon New Orleans. So that seems to be the way things are going now. We're talking with John DeShazer, senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com. You mentioned Minnesota. It gets pretty cold there late January, early February. Now that New York had no problems last year in a cold city, does that open the door for more northern cities to get a Super Bowl in the future? Well, I think it absolutely does because from, from this standpoint, I mean, really, you know, when you come to these votes, you build alliances. And now that the cold-weather cities see that they're able to have a Super Bowl, they're going to be more more likely to align themselves with cold weather cities that have facilities. And then if you can, you know, barter a little bit and, you know, if, if you know, one hand, you know, scratching the other, uh, you know, one, one person scratching the other person's back, you know, hey, we want the Super Bowl in this year. We'll vote for you if you vote for us in this year. So, you know, there's a lot of bartering that goes along a lot of, you know, a lot of backroom deals. And so, yeah, I can I can see more happening, even though New York, and I think pretty much an ice storm passed through last year. Minneapolis is going to be cold. We know it's going to be cold in Minneapolis in February. But now that the precedent has been established, I can see it happening more and more as these cold weather cities build new football facilities. So where does New Orleans go from here as far as bidding? Is there a rule about how many years can you bid in a certain time span? Will they be get bid again in October? For Super Bowl 53 in 2019, keep in mind, like you said, Atlanta, who opens up their new stadium in 2017, can bid in 2019 because their stadium will be done for two years after that point. So where does New Orleans go from here as far as bidding on another Super Bowl? Well, my understanding is, you know, as soon as, as the process is, is open again, you know, the NFL pretty much, you know, invites you to come and make, you know, make a bid if you want to. So that could happen as early as October. I understand, I believe, that New Orleans – probably has some convention commitments and those kinds of things in 2019 that might make it a little bit difficult, you know, to, to get the game because they, you know, logistically you have to change up so many things. So, you know, there's going to have to be, you know, uh, either a way to change those dates or you're going to have to find a year where there are the open dates already. And, and like, again, 2018 was the natural, you know, fit for New Orleans to try to continue the 300 year celebration. So, you know, you can go back in, you can go back to the table, but, it might take a little bit of maneuvering, which, you know, it's New Orleans. It, it, you know, it can be shifted around. It can be maneuvered around, and everybody can be accommodated. But it probably will take a few a few uh, machinations to get, it, to get it to fit. Will it also, do they think about now, if they are competing against newer stadiums, do they go into that thinking, well, maybe in 2020 or 2021, 
we're going to be facing cities that already have stadiums built. Is that going to be so big of a factor now that they kind of look at what year they're not going to be competing against maybe a new stadium being built? Well, it might have to be. But, I mean, again, New Orleans offers, you know, what it what it is and what it has always offered, and that's, you know, the best place to have a big event. Now, is, is that going to be enough? And then, again, again, the Super Bowl, the Superdome, you know, Mercedes-Benz Superdome remains, you know, a first-rate facility, you know, but when you get into these new facilities and you get into the private funding and the, into the public funding of those facilities, NFL owners look upon that favorably. So, is it, you know, has the landscape changed? Yes. Is it going to be more difficult? Yes. Not impossible, but more difficult because you know going in that this is the way owners seem to be leaning now. J.D., before I let you go, John Carney and Aaron Brooks will be inducted into the Saints Hall of Fame as announced yesterday by the team. Your thoughts and memories about those two guys? Well, mostly uh, from Aaron Brooks. I mean, I know people remember, you know, interceptions and smiles, but, you know, I, I think I also, you know, you also have to remember, you know, he's the, the quarterback of record for the first, you know, playoff victory in franchise history and had some significant games. I think he had, you know, the first and maybe only 300 passing yard, 100 rushing yard uh, by a quarterback in franchise history. He had some great games. Now, it ended terribly, obviously. But, uh, you know, he had some moments where you thought Aaron Brooks would be a guy who would, who would you know, etch his name to the record books for a long time. And, in fact, he, he was in there for a decent and remains in his record books. Now, of course, Drew Brees has come along and, and, and smashed every record, you know, passing record in, in franchise history, but had some good games. And then John Carney, a guy who was extremely accurate and reliable. And, you know, the thing I remember most about him is when Garrett Hartley had some troubles for Coach Sean Payton, they brought John Carney back, and John Carney had some great games and, and, and helped the franchise win some significant games. So, you know, two really, two, two really good guys. And John Carney really is a top-line top individual, a guy you would love to be around and a guy you love to talk to. So, you know, congratulations to both of those guys. Like I said, it, it didn't end great for Aaron Brooks, but he did have some moments as a saying that, that made you think, you know, hey, this guy can carry a team. That's John DeShazer, senior writer or senior chief, as Sean calls you, for NewOrleansSaints.com. J.D., have a safe trip back to the Big Easy. All right, Chief. I appreciate it, Diesel. I will see you guys when I get home. Sounds good. More to come on this Wednesday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Hey there. What you having? Um, what kind of specials do you have today? Well, tonight we're doing $2 benzene and tonics, $4 lemon arsenics, and $5 beryllium bombs. Wait, what? Those don't sound like drinks. They sound like types of poison. Well, it's a fine line. Besides, this is a smoky bar. What do you think we're all breathing in right now? Uh, I don't know. N nicotine? Listen, I'm going to hook you up. You're not really living until you've had a formaldehyde martini. Yeah, I'm going home. Secondhand smoke does more than just stink. It costs Louisiana thousands of lives and contains dozens of harmful chemicals that lead to things like emphysema, heart disease, and lung cancer. Learn what's being done to protect all Louisianans in bars and gaming facilities at letsbetotallyclear.org. This is Pelicans forward Ryan Anderson, and you're listening to the Black and Blue Report. All right, well, joining me now in Studio B, the one and only Jim Eichenhofer, writer for Pelicans.com, here to talk about 
the NBA Draft Lottery. Jim, welcome into Studio B. I know you've been here before, but for me to talk to you, it's a nice, it's a nice change. Hey, it's great to be here. It's my pleasure. All right, Jim, so let's talk about the NBA Draft Lottery last night. The first thing I want to start off with is, is Cleveland again. They are the number one pick. They win the number one pick for the third time in four years. It's, it's just unbelievable. Cleveland keeps getting back to the number one spot. I think people around the league are just just shaking their heads like, how could this How could this possibly be? I mean, th- there's a lot of teams that have, have struggled mightily the last few years that have been in the lottery constantly and haven't moved up at all, haven't even sniffed having the number one pick. So for one team to do it three times out of four years is really hard to believe. But as I kind of tweeted last night, I think New Orleans doesn't have a lot to complain about because obviously they they won the Anthony Davis sweepstakes two years ago. But um, there's a lot of teams around the league that I think are just just kind of frustrated of how they never seem to be able to to uh, win the lottery. But there's one team that's won it that many times in such a brief period. And you talk about the team that comes in with the best odds has not won the NBA lottery in 10 years now. I think 2004 was the last time with the Orlando Magic. So that goes to the next point. Does things need to be changed up a little bit? I mean, how do you feel if you're the team that finishes with the worst record? In every other sport, you are guaranteed the number one pick with the worst record. But in the NBA, that's not the case. Do you think there's any chance that they talk about maybe tweaking this thing a little bit? Personally, I don't like the idea of making making it so that if you have the worst record, you automatically get the number one pick because I feel like the reason they put the lottery system in place back in the 80s was a very legitimate reason in that they didn't want people speculating that you know this team and that team were losing games on purpose at the end of the season or were not putting a, a product on the court that was capable of winning. So I, I like I don't like the idea that if you you automatically get the first pick, with the worst record, but I think I really like the idea of that a few people have mentioned of having it just being on a rotation where once every 30 years you get the number one pick, once every 30 years you pick 30th, and it's kind of predetermined because in that way the effect of the season doesn't it doesn't impact where anyone picks, and I think the whole discussion about tanking that people have talked about would go completely away if that happened because everyone's pick would are you'd already know where you're picking and it wouldn't matter. Um I think the last couple years to me the the whole discussion about teams not being competitive is is has gotten annoying to me. I just think it takes away from the season and it takes away from just the NBA in general. So that's one of the ideas I've that I really like. I'm sure there's a few others that people could, might come up with that could work. But um, the system right now is okay, but I do feel like it sh- that it could be improved. Yeah, if you talk about that that wheel also in the same sense, I think you're guaranteed like a top seven pick or a top five pick every seven years or something like that. Are there any other ideas besides the wheel that maybe have been brought up that could be a solution for the lottery or at least a way to tweak it a little bit? I've heard people suggest the idea of going back to the system the way they originally had the lottery where the the teams, the 14 teams, the way it is now, um, they each would get an equal chance of getting the number one pick. That was actually the way their lottery was originally done. I believe when they first started the lottery, there was only 23 teams in the league, so it was basically seven lottery teams that each had an equal chance. Um, that if you do a, If you do that, obviously you, you – avoid the situation where you know people are are 
looking at teams' records and saying like, okay, their percentage chance changes because based on losses. But if you, that's one of the ideas that I've thought about too that might be um, a solution. But the, I think the biggest problem that people have with that idea is that, for example, to use a real real um, instance from this year, Phoenix would have the that one forty eight games would have the same chance to win the lottery as um, Milwaukee did. And I think a lot of people would have some problems with that in terms of fairness. But um, I still, in a way, I still feel like that's a better system than the way it is now where, um, like I said, people are constantly at the end of the season, fans and media are even saying like, you know, all oh, this team needs to lose these games so that they can improve their percentage chances, which, as I said, I just don't think that's good for the league at all. To play devil's advocate, though, if you do it that way with every team in the lottery having the same chance, does that entice more teams to tank? Because at that point, it's not whether you have the best chance of having the third pick, the fourth pick, whatever. 14 teams might say, hey, it might be the best thing not to make the playoffs this year, and that way we have the same chance as the worst team to get the number one pick. I've heard people mention that, but I think that's a, that's a good question. I don't think there's many teams that if they had the option – of making the playoffs or not making the playoffs they would they would say let's not make the playoffs True. but but I, but I I don't know because I'm sure there's been teams over the last bunch of years that have gone into the playoffs realist not not that their players or coaches would think that but maybe the their management would would be like man we really don't have a chance to uh to go very far in the playoffs but then again you look at a season like this year where both 8 seeds made it to game 7 of right. the first round so I mean that's that's I I've heard that concern brought up in terms of that idea but I honestly don't think that teams would 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 ever say let's not make the playoffs. Yeah, it's hard to believe you'd pass up a chance for your fan base and for your team to make even extra money. Sure. to not go in the playoffs just to get a draft pick in a, a draft that might not be as deep, you know, but this year's is pretty deep. But let's talk about the lottery as far as the Pelicans. I don't know about you. I think you were the same way, but when they pulled out that card at the 10th spot, which the Pelicans were projected to go at, it was a 76ers card. And for a brief second, not knowing the 76ers' chances, I thought that the Pelicans moved up in the top three. And I think looking at Dr. J's response, it looked like he was confused about what was going on. They changed it where, I guess, the teams that were getting the pick via trade ended up they just put the card in there because the Charlotte Hornets won that same thing. But were you just as confused and as hopeful as I was for a brief like five seconds? You know what's funny? That's exactly what I was going was gonna to bring up was – if you go back and watch the video, it's actually kind of funny because if you watch Julius Irving's reaction for a few seconds, he looks like he's like angry and so confused. He's look he's like looking around the studio trying to figure out what's going on because I'm sure the Sixers told him as their representative that, "Hey, you know, you're going to the lottery. We have the two, we're in the 2 slot, so the worst we can finish is 5." So when he sees their their logo come up at 10, he's so confused and so just like, man, what is going on? I thought they said that we couldn't finish lower than five. So I had the exact same reaction that you did, and I'm sure everyone did. Everyone thought that it was either a Pelicans logo and, a, and bad news or any other team and good news. So when you could see the top of the, the card coming out of the envelope and you knew that it didn't, didn't have any Pelicans resemblance at all, you were like, I mean, for a split second, I was like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they ended up in the top three this year with the you know, the 4% chance that they had. So yeah, 
I mean, I there's it's it seems like a, a minor thing to complain about, but right. because, probably because it is. But I do feel like I wish they had done things the way they had done in the past, where it it would have been a Pelicans logo, and that would have just been way less confusing for everybody yeah. involved. Because usually the announcer will just say, "Oh, that pick goes to the 76ers." And I should have realized it because Orlando had that happen at the twelfth spot because they took the Denver Nuggets pick, and it came out with a Magic logo, and I got thrown off for a second yeah. there. But then when it came up with ours, I still was like, oh, my gosh, we got the we yeah. got a top three pick. And same with the Hornets. It's weird saying the Charlotte Hornets now, <laughs> but they are the Charlotte Hornets. They were not even in the lottery. And then their card gets pulled out at number nine for the Detroit Pistons. So I guess it's a minor thing, but I'm hoping next year they go back to just the logo and then announcing that that pick is going somewhere else. Right. To, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't even notice those two other instances you brought up just because when I was so... I was so confused and so my mind was going in a million different directions. I didn't even notice the, the um, new Hornets thing come up. So, but yeah, it was, it was, it was quite a, quite a dramatic few seconds there trying to figure out what exactly just happened. So the Pelicans, their 10th pick goes to the Sixers. Their second round pick has gone from a previous trade with Minnesota. So the Pelicans don't have a pick in this year's draft, but in your opinion, Jim, talking about the other teams who made out well in this draft lottery I think Orlando had two picks Philadelphia earned two picks Charlotte again jumping in there which team made out the best I guess Cleveland's got to be up there (laughs) I think you just listed all the teams that I would that I would mention but I mean yeah it's I I, you have to say Cleveland's the big winner because I mean not only did they win it but they only had a 1.7 percent chance of of winning the lottery so I mean I'm not sure if that's the biggest jump ever but it's got to be close to the biggest jump ever um, I think the Bulls had a similar um, move when they when they ended up getting Derrick Rose with the number one pick. But um, I think people are just interested now to see what the Cavs do with it because, I mean, you have three number one overall picks in four years. They have they absolutely have to turn that into, uh, you know, a winning team and a, a you know a playoff contending team, especially in the East. So I I think they're they're definitely under a lot of pressure because if if you're handed that type of th- those type of breaks and those type of assets, I mean, if you can't turn that into to something positive, you know, it, it's going to be their fan base is going to be just. Uh, I mean, where do you even go from there? Right. If you If you have that many number one picks, overall picks, and say next year or two years from now they're still not a playoff team, it's right. it's like I don't even know wh- how, where you go from there. For them, I guess their mentality is, hey, we'll probably get the number one pick again if we don't do well. <laughs> so I don't know if teams are going to start having that mindset, but with them, they seem to have that luck where, eh, if our draft pick doesn't work out, we can always do it again. But I think as Cavs fans, after losing LeBron, it's I think they're kind of getting tired of worrying about this draft lottery every year. Yeah, yeah. You know what's funny, too? We were, we were talking about this earlier that people, people look at Oklahoma City as like the way that you can build a, a team by picking in the top five. But for every Oklahoma City, there's like five or six other teams that have picked in the top five consistently and haven't turned into a, a winning team like Sacramento. Not to not to, you know, pinpoint right. one team, but so but I mean Cleveland is starting to become the example of like, geez, you could even get in the top top one a, a bunch of years in a row and yep. it doesn't necessarily translate into winning. So I, I think, you know, it's just an it, it could be another example of how it, there's just no sure things in the NBA. Sacramento coming out and saying they're open to trading their pick. I believe they're at number seven or number eight. Can't remember. But Sacramento open to getting a veteran player in exchange for that top 10 pick. Also keep in mind the only other team to have the number one pick in the last four years, not named Cleveland, 
is the New Orleans Pelicans. Again, the Pelicans still could get in via a trade. Not saying there is anything going down, but you just never know. But right now, the Pelicans without a pick in this year's draft. That's Jim Eichenhofer, senior writer. I'm going to call you senior writer. John DeShazer gets senior writer for NewOrleansSaints.com. Hey. I don't know if that's going to make you feel old or anything <laughs> like that. Hey, if you want to give me a, a, a title addition, I'll take it. Okay, vice president of senior writing, Jim Eichenhofer <laughs> for NewOrleansPelicans.com, talking NBA draft lottery, and we'll wrap things up. Coming up next on the Black and Blue Report. All-Star Electric is lighting up the future with the latest in LED lighting. All-Star Electric specializes in the installation and conversion of the newest LED lighting products. This lasting investment is virtually maintenance-free and offers significant savings on your next electricity bill. This is Tim Blanchard, president of All-Star Electric. Let us evaluate your building, parking lot, or home for an LED conversion because we know we can save you some money. There's no better time to join your Pelicans as we take flight. All-star Anthony Davis is taking his team to the next level, and the Pelicans are soaring to new heights. 2014-15 season tickets are on sale now and start at less than $300, with lower bowl options as low as $37 per game. Season ticket benefits include the best seat locations, discounts on concessions, and much more. Take flight with the Pelicans. For more info, call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com today. Follow us on Twitter at Black Blue Report. Good show today. Our thanks to John DeShazer, Stephen Perry, Jay Cicero, Rod West, and Jim Meikenhofer for coming on today's show. I want to remind everyone that tonight is Ben Grubb's charity softball game at Zephyr Field in Metairie. The home run derby starts at 6 p.m., and then the game will follow that. Last year, it was the defense putting a beat down on the offense 10-2, so let's see if Mr. Grubb's and the rest of the crew will get some revenge tonight. Tickets are still available. You can visit any Ticketmaster location or you can buy a ticket at the ballpark before the festivities start. Proceeds from the event will benefit the not-for-profit Ben Grubbs Number no. 66 Foundation, which supports local boys and girls clubs. And also for more information on the Grubbs Foundation, you can visit www.bengrubbs66.com. So on tomorrow's show, we'll recap the charity softball game. We'll have interviews from some of the players, and hopefully we're efforting to get you Tyreek Evans to stop by Studio B. And then on Friday, the newest Saints Hall of Fame inductees Aaron Brooks and John Carney will join the show. I hope everyone has a great rest of their Wednesday, and until tomorrow, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Black and Blue Report, the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source, the Black and Blue Report.